0: Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough Draft, a heartfelt dig through discarded drafts from our past.
1: I'm your co-host, Emily Anderson. And I'm
0: Eric Anderson. And this is our very first Open, open Mic Night! night. Huzzah, which is the last episode of Season 1. And this is what we are doing. We spend the episodes of each season going through individual works from each of our pasts. Um, either poems or short stories or whatever that we wrote when we were children or in high school or just younger than just we are now. Just not now. now. <laughs> just in the before times. And then we talk about them and then we go back and edit them. And now is our chance to show you what our edits have done and whether or not we actually listened to each other's suggestions. (laughs) So things could get tense in this closet. I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. So that is what we are doing. But we are still drinking because it's the theme. And why not? So today we are drinking. What are we drinking?
1: This is Tritonia. Tritonia. By Creature Comforts Brewing Company out of Athens, Georgia, which is... Sort of
0: local. It's local enough. It's still in the state. It's only
1: an hour away.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely if I can drive there it's local. We've been
1: there multiple times. We have? I've been there twice.
0: You've been to this brewery?
1: No, 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 no. We've been to Athens Oh, yeah. We've, twice. Been,
0: we've been to the city of Athens, yes. Yeah. It is an yeah. unreasonable place. There is so much hedonism there. We say there. that
1: as very firm Auburn grads. <laughs> no, actually,
0: I don't know how anybody graduates from the University of Georgia. There are so many bars. It is such a fun place. We, like... we,
1: the last time we went there was actually for, we're getting so sidetracked, but we went there for the best New Year's Eve. Okay, the I second don't know. best. I it broke was the my second, back.
0: So it was so great I broke my back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was the second best New Year's Eve. We bar hopped through like a bunch of bars with the coolest, just the coolest Lauren you will ever meet. Like, I still just other people were there too but apparently we don't
0: care about them
1: (laughs) i love chelsea as well and whoever else was there but we got actually we spent more time with chelsea and brooke but it's fine it's fine no
0: we left the party shout out to chelsea and brooke (laughs) everybody was too cool for us so we went to a diner at like 3 a.m because we couldn't handle it anymore and
1: then you broke your back sleeping on the air mattress i did do
0: that don't just don't air mattress folks
1: if you have the (laughs) option to not air mattress don't choose any other option yeah
0: i mean it only took me a year of recovery so it's fine
1: so okay so circling back to tritonia Tritonia, i've been wanting to do this one for a while because and i could see it in the grocery store in the local beer section and it it had tasting notes of cucumber lime salt and coriander and i was like well we have to try that See if they actually deliver on those flavors.
0: So this is what is called a ghost, which, which is I a... I have
1: never heard of before. I have,
0: but I could not describe it until I did a little bit of research. So okay. it is but... called that because it originated in Gosler, Germany, uh, and it is originally brewed with at least 50% of the grain being malted wheat. It always has this kind of dominant flavor of lemon sourness or herbal characteristics and strong saltiness, which until I read this, I kind of didn't realize that's what I was doing. But let's go ahead and taste. Let's let's
1: taste this. Okay, yeah.
0: (sniffs) Oh, love that sound. It is very salty. I'll say now that I'm aware of how how salty it is. It know. is very salty. Now
1: I need another sip because I didn't get any notes of salt. I got the cucumber.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very cucumbery, which I like. It's not something that I that I expect in a beer.
1: Okay, um, I see what you're talking about. I think on the first sip, I was attributing what is salty to like liminess. Yeah no, you're right. It almost tastes
0: like a margarita. Because I've had cucumber and margaritas before. Of course, you have the lime, you have the coriander, you have the salt, like a salted rim. So this is the margarita of beer.
1: Yeah, it's a very strong cucumber aftertaste. Yeah. Which is really nice. I mean...
0: I'm breathing out cucumber right now. It's sort
1: of like drinking a salad, but like in a pleasant way.
0: Who doesn't want to drink a salad? Oh, wait, that's just a smoothie. Yeah,
1: yeah. So not in like
0: a... Not in a healthy way. We're not not into that. Yeah,
1: not in... Yeah. We like it. <laughs> we like it. I
0: will. I don't want to drink six of them, but I will drink one to one and a half and be very, very fine with them. Yeah. So that is what we are drinking right now while we are engaging in this activity. So we're going to start today with one of Emily's poems. So what we're going to do is read the first poem, the first the original. draft. The original.
1: The original draft.
0: That was then polished and turned into this grand diamond yeah. that she was going to then read to us. Yeah. So, Emily, okay. which
1: one are you doing first? Okay, so the original is called Little One. The rewrite is called Little Breath. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
1: cool, 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 cool. All right, here we go. Okay, Little One. She looks out with eyes so wide, frank, unafraid, curious, hand raised, fingers curled, an uncertain greeting. Innocence, the last of it to be found. Her face is swallowed by a mask, sterile, standard. What could she possibly have to hide? What have we come to when mere babes must worry that the very air they breathe will turn against them?
0: All right, that was the first version, and now we have the diamond.
1: Little Breath. She looks out with eyes so wide, hand raised, fingers curled in an uncertain greeting. Or perhaps they're poised to pull down the sterile mask that swallows her face, obscuring her curious grin. What could she possibly have to hide? Children tell stories but never lies. What stories will we tell babes who must fear the very air they breathe will turn against them?
0: Thank you for that. Thank you. So I really like how you were able to kind of, not the original rambled, but it kind of got off topic a few got times. Got tighter. Yeah, 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 you did. You, you were able to, I think, capture more of the idea that it is just an innocent child and doesn't and, quite know, like, isn't worried about the mask, you know? She's not really hiding anything. She's not lying. She's yeah. not afraid.
1: And I, I really wanted to capture that. Up against the bizarreness, or juxtaposes the word I was looking for, against the bizarreness of like a baby having to wear a mask. Yeah. So and well, so you'll see this on like Instagram when we post these, but the the form's a little tighter too. Um, yeah,
0: it looks more visually appealing. Yeah, it looks more purposeful going yeah. down the page.
1: I'm really pleased with it. Yeah, really I I pleased. like the fact
0: that the end product. While talking about something that could be very dark, you managed to keep very lighthearted.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. So, all right.
0: Well, I am the second poem and I have the original here. So the original version was called Of the Birds, which I wrote when I was in high school. With what foul things these foolish ones concern, that against their very nature they hide. These birds worry not about fortune's turn, but wish to stay as they are till they die. If the shell were thus meant to be restored, it would not have upon birthing split. And if the bird was not destined to soar, angels' glory would not be placed upon it. How long shall they inside here safely nest, avoiding a tempest, fearing a scar? In Neverland they wish to take their rest, if only able to stretch their wings that far. They remain unchanged, avoiding all spurs, never wishing to leave their nest of birds." Are we clapping now? Yeah, I didn't clap for you. Sorry. I feel bad. I forgot that you should, need a second
1: one. Should I have clapped? I forgot that you needed to read the second one. That's so all
0: right. The clap gave me a chance to drink. You can fix that in editing. I probably won't. <laughs> I, I, I probably am just going to leave that. <laughs> this is
1: the wild, wild west That's of open right. Mic it's night. open mic night, y'all. <laughs> all
0: right. Here we go. So the new version that I wrote is called Nests and Shells. Their nests are built on scraps of others' dreams. Caught hiding from the sky, neither soaring nor falling, foolish and foul, under wings, heads tucked down so full-grown feathers point towards the ground. Against both storm and summer shine they tread lightly, mighty talons never out while atop the shells. They peck to find the secret way to piece them back together. This must be why shells break so easily. From their shelter they watch the nights and storms. And since the end of flight is hard to see, here they lie, tucked down deep in nests so warm. If I must wander far from home to seek my fortune, why can they all stay asleep?
1: So I, as you were rewriting this, I had a really hard time because I really liked the original version. (laughs) So, it's very interesting to see you come at this subject from a more... Like, it's more transparent in this version that yeah, you're trying I'm to I'm not say. obscuring
0: it with language. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. To the benefit.
0: Yeah, and yeah. so, so I, I did a couple of things when I was rewriting this. I had two main goals. Yeah. I wanted to actually achieve proper sonnet form with iambic pentameter, ABAB, CDCD, GG which I did. Did it right? Look, dreams, soaring, wings, toward, shine, never, find, together, easily, storms, see, warm.
1: Oh, they're slant rhymes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Some, of, some of them are
0: slant rhymes. Okay, some are, okay. but I have some okay. proper rhymes. Instead. Okay. And then seek and asleep for the last two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to get the actual sonnet form, English sonnet form correct. And then... I wanted to update the language so that it didn't sound so archaic, which does just... It it makes it a different poem.
1: Yeah, it really does. I I, I liked uh, the original so much, but I also really like this. They're both great.
0: So It it is hard, and and part of it feels like reading it out loud might not... It's weird because poetry is meant to be read out loud, but some of the line breaks, you know, like... it goes across. Yeah. It goes across the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not quite getting I I think the way that the rhymes are, are all lining up.
1: But I feel like I remember that happening in other sonnets. Yeah, you that can't I've read. And
0: you can't just have one one sentence to every line. Yeah, every single yeah, line ending yeah, yeah, in a period. Yeah. Like it has to wrap around sometimes.
1: You do though. have a period in a weird place. Do I? Uh, yeah. It's hard to see.
0: Oh yeah. That should be a comma. Yeah. All right. I will change that. that that's
1: the only negative critique <laughs> that I have for this. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I wanted to get the the turn, which I guess goes back to the proper yeah, sonar form. Yeah, I felt
1: like you did a really good turn.
0: Which we had come up with the idea yeah. during the podcast
1: when we yeah. did this. So yeah, I, yeah, think yeah. It, I think
0: it worked. So, yeah. All right, well, that is number two. Now back to Emily for number three, which okay. is...
1: Um, the original is called The Earth, My Home, and... The rewrite is called My Home. Okay, so here is The Earth, My Home. The Earth, our planet, is round like a ball, but Earth is not the biggest planet of all. Earth doesn't have any rings around it, but there are some other things that are special about it. Earth has water, land, and air, the things it needs for the people there. Earth is my planet, I'm happy to say, because I live there night and day.
0: Whoa! (laughs)
1: Thank you, eight-year-old Emily. Yeah. Okay. So this is my home. To me, home is two little boys giggling in the next room over, while your eyes meet mine from across the table. And the conference room where we first shook hands, at the school where I earned my Bachelor of Arts. Ooh, and the green practice field where I marched in straight lines with my friends, loudly sounding our silver horns. The empty locker room where that exciting boy broke my heart, and the stage where I spelled down the whole school, and another one downtown where I pirouetted in purple skirts. The happy hill where I wove of daisy chains, and my sister hunted lightning bugs till dark. The creaky swing where Mom pushed me at the park and the red armchair where Dad read our bedtime stories. The train tracks by the riverbank where I told Michael all my secrets and he told me none. The snowy hill with my nana's lonely grave and the yellow flowers I planted so hopefully in my front yard. While well, I wondered what a buzzing bumblebee thinks home is before it stings you on the arm. Yay. I didn't remember the, the the
0: stinging part. What a... That is a turn.
1: <laughs> That's a turn. I didn't mean for You a turned turn. it. We discussed <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, we did.
0: What's the bumblebee? What is it right now? What is stinging you?
1: <laughs> no. We, is it me?
0: <laughs> is it podcasting in general? Oh, no, I really like I was like trying it. to I, get yeah.
1: nature in there.
0: Well, your, nature is all over this place, so I... So I like you know you're being very very specific and I think that's really good for, for a poem. You have the same idea of like yes this is what this is what my home is, but instead of just earth, yeah, all all of earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we
1: talked about it in the thing. There were like various ways to take this, and I liked the angle of like okay what is my home now?
0: Yeah, and, and she's playing again visually, uh, and she tried to emphasize it by saying and as prominently as you did. But the ands are very prominently placed within the stanzas to kind of show
1: that "and" the separation yeah. between the ideas. I don't know. I, I like it. I do. Um, uh, they're all four-line stanzas. You yeah. can't see stanzas. I don't know why I said that weirdly. Stanza! Um. You can't see because I'm reading them to you. And so I will say, this is probably a from a craft standpoint, if you know me in real life, You will probably know that some of these are tweaked a little bit to make sense for a poem. Like, they're all grounded in things that actually happened to me or things that could actually happen to me. Yeah,
0: like when you were visiting your Nana's grave, it wasn't snowing. Yeah. But it it will snow. Yeah,
1: it will (laughs) snow and it makes more sense for the poem for it to be snowing. That is a liberty that you can take in a poem, even about yourself, because just because it's draws on biographical things that happen to you doesn't mean that a poem is autobiographical. I mean, you can set out to write an autobiographical poem, I guess. I really (laughs) like... It seems dangerous, but...
0: (laughs) I mean, you can. People do (laughs) it. Yeah. I I was just thinking about how kind of you do this really good job of going back and forth between sad and happy. Oh, thank Um, you. You know, most of this is happy. Most of this is really happy, but then you have some more somber... Bits where you know your, your heart got Broken um, of, of course your uh, nana's lonely Grave and then I really like Because it's unexpected um, Where you say the yellow flowers I planted So hopefully I think you're talking about Planting them on her grave And then in the next line when the stanza breaks you say in my front yard, and like, Oh, wait, we've switched, we've switched again. Now yeah. we're back in the front yard. Well, I wonder what a buzzing bumblebee thinks home is, and then it stings you. <laughs> so you're really playing with the emotions there of like, This is happy, this is happy, this is sad, this is happy. Wait, this is happy, this is sad again. <laughs> yeah, so I know. Well, like that's that. life, yeah.
1: and um, I was thinking about this. We went back to Auburn the weekend before we're recording this, which will mean nothing to you guys. You know what that means, right? (laughs) But we were walking the campus and like a lot of things have changed, but a lot of things are the same from when we were there. And it was, it was really weird because it felt like a homecoming, but it's not. And I think there are a lot of things in life. There are people and things and places that are kind of home to us in life that are both happy and sad. Some yeah, of it is just the like ephemeral nature. I'm still. Of home. <laughs> I'm just gonna
0: put this on the podcast because I, I, since then, I've been trying to think of a word that captures this feeling of kind of somber memory or this happy sad way of remembering. I and I
1: think the the prompt was, uh, what do you call it when, you're longing for a place you can't go back to, and it makes you both happy and sad.
0: Yeah. Like, walking—I I think it fit that example very well. We were walking around a place that was very dear to us, seeing how much it had changed. Yeah, seeing and, like, how it wasn't— It, it doesn't it, belong to us yeah, anymore. Yeah, it doesn't
1: belong to us anymore, and it's, it's a time thing. It's not even necessarily that the campus changed. Like, they were constantly building things on that campus while I was going to school there, but— it, it was a time. Like what, what we were reminiscing about is a time. Yeah. The homeness yeah. of it, it. you're homesick for a time at a place.
0: Oh, I'm so annoyed that I can't think of the word. <laughs> Eric is positive there's there a word. There is a perfect word for this. I don't believe him. Uh, I don't think.
1: I don't believe him.
0: It's mournful. But it's <laughs> longing. But it's happy at the same time. So,
1: listener, if you think you know what this word is. It is a
0: single word in the English language.
1: Contact us at diamondroughdraftpod at gmail.com. <laughs> Please. or on Instagram. I'm going crazy over
0: here. <laughs> I just I'm having a really hard time. Did you
1: have anything else you wanted to say? I don't think
0: so. I really okay. shout out to me. She likes me, guys.
1: <laughs> she likes me. I'm 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 in the poll. We yeah, we did we well we I don't think we shook should... We might have shaken hands when we first met. Oh, I'm sure I did. But I don't hog on first We met meetings, in a conference usually. room. That is true. That happened. Yeah. Okay. One of these days we'll tell our, our meet cute because we have a delightful meet cute, but sure now is. is not the time. So now is the time for Eric's final work. So this is his short story and... We it, we think it'll be too long if he reads the whole original thing and the whole rewrite. So he's going to just read one or two paragraphs. I'm leaving that up to his discretion.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and enough for you to kind of remember and, and see what was going on here. Yeah. With it. So the original was called Slugquee, probably. <laughs> it's, untitled, but yeah, it's untitled. Yeah, it's untitled. But I the file that I saved in Microsoft Word 2003 was called Slugquee. Once there was a great king named Slugque. He was a wise king, but he had two faults. He always wanted to expand his power and give himself more land and slaves. He also thought that he was the most beautiful thing that anyone had ever seen. He wanted to be greater than the gods themselves. He did some evil deeds, stole hundreds of slaves, and took hundreds of acres of land. The gods saw these evil deeds and decided to punish him. They took away his kingdom and changed him into a giant slug. They banished him to a huge dark cave many miles below the earth. But the gods made one mistake. When they converted him, they made him the keeper of slime and poison. They never thought that he would use those powers against them. And then... A guy named Eric shows up and defeats the monster, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, that's <laughs> the original. The bag of
1: salt he had in the hallway. Yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> in the
0: hallway with the mirror. Yeah. Which he used to distract him because of his hideousness. Wait, is
1: this really from 2003? Because you would have been no, 15.
0: No, yes. It is not from 2003, <laughs> but the Microsoft Word file that got transitioned from the original computer got converted oh, okay. from my Windows 95 computer. To oh. Microsoft Word 2003, and that's the way the file has just saved. Oh, so, okay, okay. That's the way I thought. All right, I'm gonna. I'm drinking. It gave read me this a thing.
1: really weird look for computing his his age in 2003. So quickly,
0: <laughs> I was like, I had to double check her, and well, that's how I long it takes it, me to do math. I
1: thought about it as soon as you said from 2003, so I'd already had it. All
0: right. <laughs> you're forgiven then for your arithmetic calculated calculated <laughs> is the word i
1: was trying to say ah,
0: okay <clears throat> Heracles of crete high above athens in a time long gone were divine warriors brother and sister such gods as these were weavers of the whole cloth of humanity but rarely spared attention for the single fibers made up of the lives of men However, that day the gaze of the two siblings rested on a scene of growing madness in the temple of Athena, treasury for the city, and a site sacred to the Athenians below. The brother's name was Ares the Unyielding, insatiable in battle. His anger seethed towards the form of a man conducting business, haggling for a better price of salt and fish. "'For a year now, sister, you have had me follow this one. Are you still so sure?' With sure voice, his sister, Athena the Bright-Eyed, answered him. Does a raging sun bull still trample the homes and farms near Delphi? The bull tumbled from the cliffs by the weight of its own charge, not by the strength of that man. She continued, undaunted. Or the great red eagle of Crete, burned, roasted, and fed to the villagers? Its deadly talons still hang within the temple there. He set alight a torch, mm-hmm. to see through the darkness, and lit the bird by chance." Ares of the bloodlust roared. He had neither heard of the eagle nor knew that it was near. And what of his victory against the sea giant of Imbros? Ares waved his armored fists in anger. The sea giant could not breathe the air. He suffocated after thirteen steps in a poorly aimed swipe at the palace with his coral club. If this man had been further inland, he would have been crushed along with that herd of sheep instead of standing dumbfounded at the fallen giant's head. How many examples must we witness, brother, before you see what I have seen in him? The war god's armor resounded as Ares beat his chest with gauntleted arm. This man is no heir of Heracles. He is nothing like Jason or Odysseus. Where are the boasts and brave deeds? Heracles had more children than I ever cared to count, Athena the unwearying considered aloud. Could well be that this man was long ago sired by one of them. You seek to cloud the true lineage, Ares of Thrace spat. There are not so many humans upon the earth now that we may not track one man's offspring. We know, for one, that he had astiniacs by Apalius. Yes, and she was but one of Thespius' daughters who bore sons to Heracles. Ares of the dark brow scowled. Thespius had more daughters than thundering Zeus. And Heracles sired children by forty-eight of them. Though prepared for retort, Ares' war words were interrupted by the approach of another. Hear my words, Ares' peace bane, floated a voice from just above the gods' golden heads. Industrious Athena gazed upwards past the midday glare and towards the face of the messenger god, shadowed by the brim of his Potasso sun hat. Gliding just beyond the reach of Ares' spear, Hermes the trickster held up one golden hand. Below us is the man known as Heracles, born in Crete, son of Trinitus, son of Perillaeus, daughter of Hinn, daughter of Palamon, son of Otanoe, who was known to be a consort of? Hermes, son of Mya, raised a hand to Athena the wise. Heracles, she said, simply, with a nod of her noble head and a gentle smile. Nearby, a dove glimpsed that smile, and suddenly laid three golden eggs. The eggs hatched the moment they lay still in the nest, and the golden fledglings, after consuming their mother, began to sing a song so mournful it would cause all who heard it to weep without ceasing. Raging Ares was not so pleased or convinced by the words of the god of swift wings. Listen well, Hermes psychopomp, keep you this boundary firm. I seek no honor of lineage placed upon this man Erocles. Who chooses not to follow the ways of men and warriors set out in past lives? See you the temple below. Hermes of the Golden Wand bent at the knees and then sprang up to double his height, all the better to glimpse the chaos unfolding atop the Acropolis. From within the sturdy marble pillars of the Parthenon, a dark cavern mouth birthed a stench that wafted on Aeolus' western wind to blanket the city of Athens. Soon the normally bustling streets were bare as each household built fires in their hearths and burned what incense they had, lifting prayers to each household god. Soon, if there was no relief, the scent of sacrificial meat would join that of herb and leaf. Just outside the Agora, Tsenadros the woodcutter and his large family chose to beseech Demeter with a sacrifice of roasted lamb, for, as goddess of fertile soil and of death, surely she had a hand in this curse." But Demeter was, at this time, cursing Aristichthon with a hunger so great he had begun to eat himself. However, with the unceasing pleas of Tenadros and his family in her ears, she could not enjoy the torture she had wrought, and so, with a word, caused every poppy in Athens to sprout, bloom, and release a sweet scent that drew Tenadros, his family, and all the people of Athens into a fortnight's sleep. For those citizens nearest the cavern atop the Acropolis, fell to their knees and packed mud over their noses to safeguard their senses against the pungent onslaught. As they lay so prostrate, up from the depths of the world crawled a beast long locked away. The edges of the cave turned upwards, with the force of that which struggled free of the earth, pulling its body over shattered stone. As a bust of Pallas Athena was crumbled to dust, then soaked with the creature's slime, goddess Athena herself scowled. One day, father will learn that turning men into monsters is no just form of punishment. What was it the king Leodes of Mycenae did to anger Zeus, son of Cronus? Whispered winged Hermes from his elevated height. More than some have done to incur his wrath. While the fierce Myrmidons were away, engaged in battle, Leodes raided Achaeus' temple on Aegina, enslaved Zeus' priests, defiled Zeus' altars, and, after drinking all of the sacred wine, eventually burned the training camps. Ares, founder of Thebes, first chuckled, then laughed, and then roared in such a fit that he clutched his hands to his stomach. He bent in two at the waist, fell sideways into a world inadvertently created out of his own mirth, and then swung right-side up into reality, a smile spread wide over his golden features. With him, from that strange land, came a single black thundercloud that ignored the wind and began pouring its waters over the eastern path up the Acropolis. And so, mighty Ares laughed, our father Zeus transformed King Leotes from conqueror and drunkard into, what, a worm? Not just a worm, it seems, observed Hermes with a tilt of his helmeted head, but a worm with slime and stench and anger above all. I believe a slug may have been the goal, but never before have I seen one of this size. You know how literal righteous Zeus can be, noble Athena reminded him. The larger the fault, the larger the punishment. And now see, cried Valorous Ares, your hero, Heracles, supposed offspring of Heracles, stands motionless and dumb before the might of this abomination. Indeed, as the three gods saw, Erecles stood with newly purchased goods atop the Acropolis, observing as the creature's slime held each citizen prostrate on the floor. Hermes spoke yet again. We have now seen seven monsters before his path, Ares the lesser lover of Aphrodite, and still he walks free while each beast lies dead. I believe this beast will prove no different. In fingerless hands, the beast grabbed up three Athenians, and forced them into its mouth as swift as a snake returns to its hole. Their screams were soon lost within. With a voice like Charybdis, the creature barked forth words to the imprisoned citizens. There will be no mercy until the gods forsake their actions against me. I was a man greater than any of you, and yet such an abomination they wrought. It speaks? Ares the battle-ready wondered. "'What purpose could Zeus have to let it speak?' "'An oversight, I would imagine,' said wise Athena. "'I would ask our father myself "'to see if he is aware that the creature retains a voice. "'But I believe he has transformed himself "'into a shower of golden light, "'and you know how difficult he is to speak to at such times.' (laughs) "'The creature roared, "'spraying slime far across the Acropolis, "'and then resumed its feast upon the citizens of Athens. "'See now, Athena!' Ares said, pointing with his great spear. A lightning bolt flashed in the lone rain cloud he had summoned. How it topples the columns of your sacred temple while the false hero does nothing. This is not the first time my temple has been destroyed. The people will rebuild as they always have. Gray-eyed Athena pursed her lips, then gave a small laugh. I may even choose not to punish them for lack of offering. The goddess Laugh pierced through the mournful song of the golden fledglings, freeing the seven humans trapped weeping beneath their nest. The humans quickly removed their clothes and began a festival to honor Athena of good health. Countless Athenians had now passed into the body of the creature as it slithered across the polished marble. In its path stood Heracles, his supplies in hand, feet stuck to the stone by the muck. It lifted Heracles into the air by his belt. "'sucking his feet free of the ground slime with a wet slurp, "'and turned him towards its mouth. "'But as Erecles's lower half disappeared inside, "'his supplies toppled from his hands and onto the beast. "'A newly purchased bundle of fresh-caught fish, "'and a sack of sea salt struck the beast between its clouded eyes. "'The sack split open and scattered salt across the beast's head and back. "'The effect was immediate, and slime oozed from its skin. "'It curled in on itself, screaming in pain and anger.' the beast's tail quivered in mid-air like the tongue of a strangling sea-giant. Ericles slipped from the creature's grasp, his tunic, belt, and sandals stuck inside the slime. Heracles rose to his feet and walked away from the creature's reach, watching as it melted under its own slime until there was nothing left but a rancid pool. In the waste, coughing and crying thanks to the gods, was each Athenian who had been consumed now freed. War god Ares stood with mouth agape, his spear hanging low at his side. The sweet laughter of silver-eyed Athena mixed with that of roguish Hermes, as they applauded the victory of the people against the monster. "'What will the tales call it, I wonder?' asked upturned Hermes as he flipped about in glee. "'The great slug of Athens? The Parthenon worm?' The shining spearhead, thrust forth by Ares' mighty hand, narrowly missed the messenger god's head and speared his hat instead." With a hat on his spear, flapping like a damp flag, warrior Ares gave chase behind swift Hermes' flight until both disappeared over the horizon. Heracles, naked except for his underclothes, eventually ceased his attempts to scrape the filth from his skin and then began the descent from the Acropolis. He would seek shelter in the city, where there were always those kind enough to share a meal and a roof with a hungry traveler. As the path turned... First he was greeted by bold Ares' dark thundercloud, still letting down its torrents of waters over the cobbled path. Erycles spent some time underneath, until the slime had washed down the hillside and the stench had left him. Seeking to dry his hair and skin in the sun, Erycles left the now muddy path to wander the hillside, ever making his way down to the city. Soon he came upon the seven worshippers under the golden dove nest, midway through their festival to honor Athena of good health. As their clothes had been discarded and forgotten, he was able to quickly find sandals, tunic, and belt, all of nicer make than the clothes he had before. With passing thanks to the goddess for the provisions, he continued down the mountainside towards Athens. He was disappointed to find that the city was asleep, from child and grandfather to dog and horse. Thankfully, he found that a woodcutter and his family had started roasting a lamb a bit earlier, and as they were all asleep on the floor with their hands raised in prayer, he ate his fill, and then settled in on their beds for the night. That's a lot of reading. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You did such a good job reading and writing. I was super impressed. Like, the first rewrite draft you showed me, and this one you read is even better. I felt like I was actually reading, you know, a myth in, like, an English translation (laughs) book, you know. I, I feel like you really captured the... The spirit of those uh, those myths and some of the spirit of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at the same
0: time. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. I can see I can see where you're going with that because it's kind of like silly adventures.
1: Not even that. It was the miracles. It was the silly (laughs) miracles. Like something about this read through. I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like the. the improbable whale that turned yeah. into yeah. yeah, a
0: bunch of The things. engine that they have that's made off of improbability. Yeah. It's it's funny that you brought up that one specifically, because if there is one book every I feel like every author has the one book that they wish they could have written. That is mine. I yeah, wish yeah. I wish that I had been able to write Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because now that's just Douglas Adams. Nobody else can do that. That is his thing. It, you sound so awful if you try to write like he did because it is so specifically him and it's so wonderful. But you kind of can't take it out of that setting. It's just been, if, if you try, it'll just be, oh, I was trying to be Douglas Adams, you know? So I wish I had thought of it first, <laughs> 50 years ago.
1: I want to argue and be like, never say never. Never
0: say never. Well, that's the way I feel about it, at least. Do you do you have something that you wish you had written? Like, have you thought of this? Have you done this exercise? <laughs> I,
1: I haven't done this exercise before, but now that I have, I wish that I had written The Bear and the Nightingale, because uh, because I almost did.
0: She kind of almost did, yeah. Yeah,
1: we'll save this for a different episode, but just really quickly, I when I read that book, I told Eric, I said, I, I, I've written a short story or the beginnings of a story that started out exactly like this but like a 16 year old wrote it yeah and Eric was like no you didn't and then when I found all my my records all my drafts that were hiding on my college computer there it was and he read it and was like yeah you totally did <laughs> sorry should have so I'm just I'm <laughs> furious that I didn't write the Bear and yeah. the Nightingale trilogy which is beautiful it by Katherine Arden yeah. just gorgeous so thank God she wrote it. Because I know nothing about Russian mythology, so... And
0: I think she had to travel the world to have the uh, the knowledge to write that, and I like you right here, so... Oh,
1: but it would be fun to travel the world a little more than I have already done. Well, yes, <laughs>
0: as long as you bring me with you. So, to return to the thing we were talking about, do you have anything else
1: to say? Oh my god, it was so good, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I,
0: something I struggled with when I was trying to rewrite this was whether or not to make it silly because I feel like I couldn't take it too seriously. Yeah. Part of that is just the subject matter. Like I was, I wasn't just trying to write in that world. I was trying to adapt my original piece as closely as I could and try to keep it as closely as I could while making it better just better in general
1: I, I do remember you talking about the tension between so in the original story like eric is setting out to take care of the slug and he does so purposefully you know he has a plan he executes the plan and the plan works and the only like silliness of it is that you know an eight-year-old wrote this story and so, so like the plan is silly and just but it, it's in the world of the story the plan is not silly and eric doesn't think he's silly and eric knows that he is fighting Slugwy. so in this rewrite there was a tension of how much is ericles actually intending to fight these beasts which I think is part of what Athena and Ares are, like, arguing over. Can you be a hero if you keep slaying things, but you don't intend to slay them?
0: Yeah, can you be an accidental hero? Does that still count? Yeah. Do we still write stories about you?
1: Yeah. And and so, like, the decision was, is this a guy who wants to be a hero, but is kind of haphazard, but gets the job done? Or is this just a guy living his life who, through some divine genetic quirk of the bloodline, (laughs) happens to do heroic deeds, but, like, he didn't mean to. They just keep happening, which... Is what you ended up going exactly, with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at
0: first, I wanted to have more from his point of view when I first started writing this. I wanted to have Ares and Athena kind of scolding him, saying, like, you're not doing this right. This is not how you hero. Yeah,
1: the angel and the devil on yeah, the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And yeah.
0: Athena just saying, like, it's okay, dear. You'll do it better next time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and then, but I started it with Ares and Athena just talking to each other, and that just took off. Yeah. And... It just wound up the way that it is, and I'm happy with it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think this is better at... I think this is better than that original intention because you could really go for that go for that tone that you yeah. do you do so well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the tone of writing not for now, is that what you mean? All of my stuff well, is like I'm pretending I'm from the 18th century. I'm pretending that I live 200 BC, guys. No, I'm <laughs>
1: pretending that I'm from the 18th century translating a text from 200 yeah. BC. <laughs> I'm Um, learning
0: a lot about myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're very good at picking a tone and sticking to it, I guess. Which maybe all writers are. I'm just, like, amazed because most of the writing you've had me read up to this point, just, you're not dealing with that kind of tone. So I'm like, Mm. oh my gosh, you're so good at that. I can tone. I can (laughs) tone, guys.
0: So, well, thank you for coming to our first open mic night as the end of season one.
1: Yeah, this is really fun. And someday, we hope to be able to do some of these live. Yeah, we,
0: have, you. we have lots of grand plans um, and that also usually include still drinking beer, so yeah. seeking local breweries that will allow people to read strange things yeah. to a potential audience or just in general,
1: yeah. that's fine. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun to be able to read like our rewrites, but then also just take... Audience members doing like an open mic night of their stuff. Yeah. I think that would be so, 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 fun. so fun. But that all depends on you, dear listener. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, our, our goals for season two are um, now that we've kind of delved into our pasts, we're going to continue doing that, but we also want to have some guests on so we can have some new yeah, voices. We have at and, least one lined up and, that we're really excited yeah. about,
1: and we will reveal that in season two (laughs) when they're
0: here (laughs) yeah and media revelation
1: Uh, season two is definitely going to be a little longer because we've got at least one guest lineup maybe two and we've also got like a special episode that won't necessarily follow format but also isn't an open mic (laughs) tonight
0: thank you for just teasing yeah
1: this is mysterious what what will the special episode be one of the other, I think the romance podcast I listen to, Faded Mates, calls those, like, interstitials. But now I'm like, I need to Google the word interstitial and make sure I understand what it means correctly. <laughs> they're
0: definitely saying it, but yeah, we're not quite sure what it But I don't mean. know what it means. <laughs> but we're going to use it, too. We're interstitialing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, and
1: we will have a special interstitial. Sarah McLean, if you are listening to this, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, good one. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. we'd love to keep talking, but our glasses are empty and our brain is full. Our, our brains brain? are f- we have a single brain, <laughs> we're married, we're, we're married one person. Now. It's fine, all right. Okay, we're
0: leaving that in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Our
1: brains are full. Thank you for sharing your rewrites today, and self, thank you for sharing your rewrites today. And we look forward to season two,
0: dear listener. If you have any edits, thoughts, or suggestions on this, series of rough drafts and newly written diamonds. You can find us on Instagram as diamonds in the rough draft or by email at diamond rough draft pod at gmail.com.
1: If you or someone in your life is interested in having a draft on this podcast or joining as a guest, please reach out. If you happen to be Neil Gaiman or Gail Carriger or Sarah McLean, please reach out quickly.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diamonds in the Rough Draft.
1: This is Emily Anderson.
0: And this is Eric Anderson. Have a great time and don't edit under the
1: influence. <laughs> All works read on the Diamonds in the Rough Draft podcast are original works and are not to be reproduced or distributed in any form without the express written permission of the author. All works of fiction on this podcast are products of the author's imaginations and any resemblance to actual events, places, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental.